the Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on the phone is, of course, co-host Alan Niven. Good day, sir. Good day, Mitch. Uh, you a snowman yet? No, but uh, we are sitting under an advisory for, for snow. But, of course, Montreal in December is, well, snow heaven or hell, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Canadians, I had a chance recently to see Fozzie with, of course, Chris Jericho, who is the king, the boss, the uh, the main attraction over here at the Westwood One. And, of course, he is from Winnipeg. The show was absolutely spectacular. The night before in Quebec, 4,500 people showed up. And if you go to his Instagram, you can see a crowd going absolutely crazy. And here, 2,300 out of 2,300. So, yes, a sellout. And if you go to my Twitter, you can see some footage of the crowd just spectacularly uh, crazy. But, uh, you know, since we're on Winnipeg, boys, we have got somebody that you must know, a Sir Brent Fitz. Are you a, a do you know Brent personally or you, you just know of him with Slash? Uh, I know of him with Slash. I've been to a number of their shows uh, to date. I've never been introduced to the band and always been ushered into his nibs lair. And, um, you know, either we'll sit and talk one-on-one for a while or, you know, get the family in for a quick grip and grin and photograph. Um, But I've never met the band, but I've seen them plenty of times. Yeah, and, and Brent is great. I mean, he's done a whole bunch of other stuff. He's played, of course, with Alice Cooper, and we do have uh, Dennis Dunaway on the second part of this. Uh, he's done the Gene Simmons band and, of course, uh, Union with Bruce Kulik. And, uh, boy, up here he's done uh, Canadian bands, Streetheart, Toke, and just a whole bunch of other stuff. But before we get to all of that, Slash has a new Greatest Hits album coming out in January of 2019 called Conspiracy Series Volume 1. It is 14 tracks and includes songs such as Dr. Alibi, Crucify the Dead with Ozzy Osbourne, World on Fire, uh, well, I said Dr. Alibi, that has Lemmy on it, Uh, Watch This, Dave Grohl, Duff McKagan. So far, as I am recording this, the only territory that has officially announced it, and if you go to Universal uh, Japan, you will see it on the Universal Japan site, it is, of course, Japan. Uh, I have not seen a Greatest Hits release scheduled for North America or Europe. That does not mean it is not happening. It just means I have not seen it on the list. But uh, if you are a big fan and want to get in on it early, head over to any of the Japanese sites. You can pre-order it. cdjapan.co.jp is the one I personally use. And you can pick that up. But uh, there we go. Um, The latest album. Yeah. I I, I love the... uh the title of the record um it begets a volume two no no we live in the age of uh, bizarre conspiracies at the moment um and if i were to be an ancient miserable grumbling old grouch as if i were such a thing um i might mumble that part of the conspiracy is that 
they have that many greatest hits. I mean, I don't want to be too unkind here, but if we're going to do a greatest hits of uh, the conspirators at the moment, wouldn't be wouldn't it be an EP at best? Um, well, that is, ouch. You know, yeah. I mean, come on, guys, be honest. Call it a best of, but greatest hits. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a stretch. To say best of, yeah, I'm good with that. That's cool. Go with it. Um, you know, and I think people have read between the lines. And between the lines, I'll say, I can listen to Slash play ad nauseum. Um, I love his playing. I love his feel. Um, but for me, and and of course, you know, I'm I'm burdened with the baggage of the past and what I've experienced and heard in the past. But. Uh, <sighs> The material that that gets put around him is not that brilliant, and I just wish he were with better writers. Um, God, I'd love it if uh, Axel and Izzy actually managed to come up with something together again, because the most spectacular moments of his playing was on tracks that had their names on it. Yeah. But you know, I'm just an old con- curmudgeon. Crowd. Yeah, come on, I like that one. <laughs> there you go. But <laughs> but just now, of course, the new album from Slash is called Living the Dream. But I'm just looking, and and to be fair, it is not being advertised as a greatest hits. It's only being advertised as Slash featuring Miles and the Conspirators Conspiracy Series Volume One, and it's all these. So it doesn't say if it's a best of or a greatest hits. And oh well, then then, then I I retract my uh, my judgmental observation um if yeah. it's not called a greatest sense fair enough it's just conspiracy theories yeah so but that said though i'm looking at the track listing uh and i've mentioned some of the songs there are a couple there that if they're doing a new guns record i wouldn't be opposed to having them give it a shot are they absolute gun songs right now no but if you know with the proper tinkering I think Crucify the Dead that had Ozzy Osbourne has a potential to 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 have Axel's voice to on it. And World on Fire. Maybe 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 not Axel's voice. I could certainly hear Duff do it in his sort of punk kind of way, but there's there's a couple of songs there that they could borrow and repurpose because that, that's well, a nice you, you used a very interesting verb there, tinkering. Um and uh, you know, from what I was told from shall we just say, an absolutely unimpeachable source, um, was that as far as New Guns material, apparently Axel has gone back into the studio looking over uh, material that he didn't put on Chinese democracy and is looking at that for a New Guns record, which, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather that, you know, it had a, a band flavor at least, and if I really had my druthers, get the originals back together, knock out two or three tracks, have some fun, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And oh, there's so, there's so much gonna gonna happen in in 2019 in the guns world, either publicly or privately. But anyway, we'll 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 see what how that plays out. And of course, Slash is going to be on tour uh, for most of 2019 with the conspirators. And, um, you know, there, there's there's one tour particularly that's going to happen in July that hasn't been announced yet, or at least not at the time of this recording, but I'm looking forward to that. And uh, shall we? As, as long as they don't change their spots, who are you going to say? 
Yeah, exactly. Don't don't change your spots. Uh, don't uh, don't pour any sugar on me. Right. And uh, you know they will be uh, living the dream. And so let's get over to the one, <laughs> the only, Brent Fitz, a Canadian Canadian Winnipeg Jets fan. Unfortunately, but hey, listen, he's still a damn good drummer, um, right? Um. I, he can be a Jets fan if he wants to be. I mean, you know, you got to you got to get your pickings where you can when you're north of the 49th parallel, since the Stanley Cup now lives south of it. Well, okay, you know what? I've got to say, if it isn't the Montreal Canadiens, that would probably be the only Canadian team that I could sort of half-heartedly support on a Cup run. But then, otherwise, my heart goes to Vegas and um, God. Even this year. I, the way Buffalo is playing, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Buffalo. Not that I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan, you know, far from it, because they had a great rivalry back in the day with the Habs. But they were such a sad sack team, and to see them actually competing, I'd be down for sort of a what a underdog, I guess, for the lack of a better word, underdog. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, speaking of an underdog, Brent Fitz, Canadian boy, fought his way through the ranks from Union all the way to Slash and Gene Simmons Band. Here is the one, the only, Brent Fitz. We are speaking with drummer Brent Fitz. Of course, uh, some of you know him from his time with Slash, others with Union. Of course, Theory of a Dead Man, Alice Cooper, Vince Neil, just all over the place. Gene Simmons Band. Brent, always, always a pleasure. Your your resume is long, large, and uh, quite uh, revered, actually. <laughs> Such great names on there. Hey, Mitch, we're both Canadian. You got to shout out to some of the Canadian stuff besides Theory of a Dead Man, but... Let's not forget that I played with uh, the great Kenny Shields and the band Streetheart, which was yep. definitely a very West Coast, uh, you know, very big West Coast Canadian band. Did you ever see them in, in you know, Montreal and that on the East Coast? When you have were, I seen Streetheart? Um, when you were growing up? They might have opened for somebody at the, at the uh, forum back in the day. Now, of course, I did see you with a Conaline crush opening for Alice Cooper at the Théâtre Saint-Denis uh, years ago. That must Oh, yeah. I don't know when that was, like 2005, six. That was a There you go, another band, Conaline Crush. A lot of great Canadian bands. My whole so, history starts in Canada. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of Canadian stuff. And then, of course, all the, the other stuff that came after that. Yes, and of course, uh, by the time folks hear the interview, they won't realize this, but we are speaking on the night where you are in Canada because you're about to play Casino Rama, and the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs are about to play the opening game of the NHL season. So this is as Canadian as an interview can get, which is which is good. It is perfect. It, it is absolutely. So let's keep it short, Mitch, because we got to watch hockey. <laughs> yeah, we literally we got to watch hockey in about two hours. So uh, I just had Slash on, and we were of course talking about "Living the Dream," the new album from Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. And you are a conspirator. Um, talk to me about that album and and getting it together because. You know, for a while there, as you know, Slash went off and did the GNR thing. Miles was doing his Year of the Tiger and then his uh, Alter Bridge stuff. Um, did you think, first of all, the album was going to happen? Was it always sort of on the burner and it's, it's coming up and it was scheduled? Or was it like, hmm, is this ever going to happen? Are we ever going to get to follow up uh, World on Fire? Well, I think just when we started to wind down our last tour, uh, with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. That was 2015. 
and we ended up in Vegas. It was New Year's Eve. And what I knew uh, prior to that, that not everybody knew was that I, we were privy to the, that Slash was going to do a Guns N' Roses reunion. And, but also the whole time we've had this band, um, Miles has always been a part of, and it's a big part of his uh, career is Alter Bridge. So even when we started the band back in 2010, when Slash, you know, asked myself and Todd to join the band with Miles, um, we were always, you know, sort of like Miles would go and do uh, some Alter Bridge recording and touring in between everything that we did. So we always had sort of like a little bit of, you know, Miles was very involved in two bands. We shared Miles, if you want to call it that. And then what it was, was at the end of um, 2015 and Slash was going to do Guns N' Roses. It was like, well, Slash is going to be doing Guns N' Roses. But I kind of really honestly thought, well, I know we've, we've been successful in putting out new music together as a band. And I know, uh, and it has, you know, shown some success and making new music is what I'm all about. And I just kind of thought, well, you know, as far as a a reunion with Slash and, and Guns N' Roses, if, if he wants to come back and still make new music, which he always said he wanted to do, I just sort of left it open. Like, well, that's up to him and I'll look forward to playing new music with him anytime. But what it was, was Miles was going to do some ultra bridge and some solo stuff. And, and I just kept busy myself because I've always played with many different artists and I really enjoy playing with different, you know, uh, people I've done it my whole life. I've, I've sort of had a long track record of all different bands and different styles. And I think the slash and our band that we put together and the records that we put out, probably my most proudest because we have been able to make new music together. And that's, the most important thing to me, you know, I've played with these, a lot of these other artists and to do a tour and not necessarily, you know, make new music hasn't always been the focus, but, you know, I've played with Alice Cooper. And of course, most recently I've been out with Gene Simmons the last year and a half. And, um, but what was interesting was I, before I played with Gene, I also played last summer with, uh, well, two summers ago, it was with Brad Whitford from Aerosmith and Derek St. Holmes from Ted Nugent. And I was touring with them as Whitford St. Holmes. And those are two of my you know, favorite musicians of all time. So when I was doing that, actually Slash came out and we hung uh, together. He came to see me play with Brad and Derek on tour. And I came to see Slash play with, with uh, Guns N' Roses. And we always sort of stayed in touch, even though we were doing other gigs. And then I, I jumped on board with Gene. Gene had asked me about doing some shows with him. And I had talked to Slash right after that. And he was like, hey, I know you're playing with Gene right now, but hopefully you're still into and, you know, you know, I'm looking forward to when, you know, we have a break. I want to, you know, start getting back to working on the the new songs that we had just started to work on at the end of our World on Fire tour right. with, you know, Slash and the Conspirators. So, um, yeah, there's the really, really long answer, but it was like, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to work. You can't really predict the future, but I always thought, well, we have some music and some ideas that we've, you know, we already had in place. And it, I'm just, I'm glad now here we are in 2018 that we were able to, to actually, you know, with all those other bands going on and everybody doing many different things, um, you know, make, make a, a definite, you know, focus on that on a break. And we all got together and we, we made a new album and we're already here. We are on tour and, and supporting it. So it, it did happen. So at the time I wasn't sure, but obviously 
we made it work. And it, it's incredible because you're not just balancing, you know, Guns and Roses and this. It's you with Gene. It's Miles doing his solo stuff. Miles doing the Alter Bridge. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, and of course, uh, you and Todd doing Toke. And it's just, anyway, uh, just real quick, since you were privy to the the Guns and Roses reunion happening at first when they told you about it did they say listen it's going to be a six-week run and then we'll get back to it like did you have any idea of the scope that it was going to take did they come to you and say well it's it's only these four shows they're doing vegas and coachella and then whatever or did you know then that it's a two-year machine and what was sort of the 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 sense that you were told about what was going to happen well and it wasn't they it was just Slash. slash right as uh getting, I mean, we're all friends and we're all band members together. So we had a little discussion and Slash said, Hey, you know, this opportunity has presented itself. And, and, uh, and, and we basically just had a, you know, like an informal band meeting. It wasn't like, you know, managers or anything. It was just like, Hey, I just want to talk to you guys about this. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm planning to go do this. And, but again, you know, with miles having scheduling, always going on with Alter Bridge. It wasn't something uh, that wasn't ever discussed in our band where somebody else had something going on. And we just, the five of us would, you know, get together and talk about it. So it wasn't um, anything formal, but um, I, and I didn't know that much ahead of time. We were winding down our tour anyway. I knew Miles was going to do something on our break and Slash said, I'm going to go to do, you know, this Guns N' Roses thing. And I, me personally, if you just want me answering for myself and not on behalf of the band, I was just like, well, that's a great opportunity for Slash. I'm very happy for him. And I know a lot of people, myself included, would, would support and want to see all those guys get back together. And, you know, I've been playing uh, Guns N' Roses songs with Slash for many years now. But obviously, for, you know, Slash to get to play with Axel and Duff and then, you know, go do that on a bigger scale. Of course, that's like, that's great. And um, I just kind of looked at it like, well, I'm going to keep busy myself because I, I always do that. I always play with different people. So that basically the next day after our final show in, uh, uh, in New Year's, uh, on New Year's in, in Vegas, we, you know, we all sort of were like looking forward to taking a break anyway. And I, I think I got a phone call 10 a.m. the next morning about a gig, uh, so I was like, I guess I'm not going to sit, you know, <laughs> silent for too long. I'm probably going to be back out with somebody, you know, that's just what I do. I've always been a journeyman musician. I love to play. And, and, uh, so the Guns N' Roses, uh, reunion was just, you know, that was something that Flash brought to us and said, I'm going to deal do that. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm happy and right. supportive for him. And, and that was that. So there wasn't a sense of you knew it was going to last as long as it did. It's just we're going to go do this and, and, and that's it. Um, well, okay, go ahead. If you're asking me about timeline and everything, again, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to say. Flash said he was going to go do that. And, and uh, you know, I just I'm living in the now all the time. So I didn't know how I'm I mean, you can ask Flash about it. I don't know the answer. Like, how long right. were they going to go tour? I don't think even he knew. I mean, right. there's a lot of moving parts. It's a very, very big thing. So. Yeah, I had no idea, and I wasn't even worrying about, like, would it be for a month? I can tell you this. If you want to think about when I first joined Slash back in 2010, and I got a very nice random phone call from him about, hey, you know, um, you know I'm thinking about doing this solo tour, and I've got this new record coming out, and a bunch of people had, had mentioned your name about, you know, checking you out and, and, you know, as a drummer. 
so I had never met Slash. And uh, when I when we got together and jammed and we said, hey, it's working out great. Let's, you know, let's do this. I didn't know if I was going to play with Slash for a week, a month. I had no idea. So the fact that I'm now working with Slash all these years, how many years has it been? Seven, eight years. And we've now made three records together. I mean, I couldn't have predicted that back in 2010 either. So I'm, I'm happy that that has happened. So as far as Guns N' Roses stuff, you know, I had no idea what to yeah. expect. So and, that's and not my band. That's, that's Slash's band. And it's and it's a great uh, well the, the 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 conspirators with with Miles and Slash is a great band as well. So let's talk about some of this other stuff that you did in the interim. Uh, and I'll, I'll start off with this: the, the Bob and Bruce Kulik, the the Kiss Cruise. You and Todd, and Bob and Bruce went over to this Kiss Cruise last year. And you played the songs that a lot of fans wanted to hear, Nowhere to Run, Larger Than Life, Tears Are Falling. And the videos that came from that, spectacular. The, the, the fan reaction, spectacular. The, everybody in the band, when you talk to Bruce or to Bob or even, I'm assuming you and Todd, everybody seemed to have had a great time. Talk to me about that, that moment and, and just the fact that this was, here you are, Canadian kid playing with these these iconic kind of figures doing these iconic songs just talk to me about that whole thing and and you know hopefully someday we'll see more of it my history with bruce kulik specifically dates back to our band union right which was my first band in in the states after leaving canada uh i moved you know in the mid 90s down to los angeles and the band that bruce and i started union with john karabi and jamie hunting that's you know, basically, I've had a long-term musical relationship with Bruce this whole time. Now, we made those records back in the in the late uh, 90s, 90s into the 2000s. And, and, and by the we, way, just to cut I, you off for a second, I would suggest that it started before yeah. that, because you did that Ace Fraley tribute where you played on his song Liar, which was pre-Union. Oh, yeah. First thing I ever See? did with Bruce. And we had just sort of become friends in Los Angeles back in, And I didn't even know I was going to start a band with Bruce back then either. We were just friends. And uh, I won't even go into the story of how we all connected and, and ended up starting the band, but, but we did, and we put out records, and I've always been very, very close with Bruce. And to fast forward it to here we are, you know, more than 20 years later, getting a chance to, to play on the Kiss Cruise um, has been great. And, and a lot of my, everything I've experienced in the music business is like, it, it's always continually connected. So I'm, uh, you know, the fact that I get to still play with Bruce and, and I have had a long history with, with Bruce and now do something really special that we did on the cruise last year. Now, the interesting thing, Mitch, is when you play on these cruises, there's not a lot of internet and there's no chance for, if someone's videoing on a cruise, you can't just post it immediately. What happens is the funny thing we did, we only played once we played on the cruise on the opening night. It's the sail away kiss plays. Uh, they, they, they do a sail away show. It's the first, you know, night everyone's on the cruise. And then we went on after them. Now our whole set was, it was just going to be one show. It was going to be an hour. And we were all busy with a lot of other, you know, bands and stuff. So even to get together to prepare for that cruise set, you know, prior to getting on the boat, you know, we, we had very limited time, but, but we, we knew that our set list was going to be a sort of a deep cuts set and people would hopefully really dig some of that. But what happened is after the fact, it was like we got off the boat 
and weeks later, all the footage started to show up on the on the internet. You know, everyone YouTubed it, and it started to take on its own life much after we had done it. So at the time, we didn't know. We were like, well, that was fun. And everybody on the cruise had a good time. Then the rest of the world, you know, latches onto it by seeing a bunch of the YouTube footage. And really, it's out of your hands. You know, like, we, that's what we played that day. We had a great time. And, and then all of a sudden, it starts to take on a new life on YouTube. And everyone's like, that was really, really great, guys. And you know what? All we were doing was just playing a lot of great Kiss songs that the fans, you know, love. And, and uh, we're all Kiss fans. You know, Todd and I are very, very huge uh, Kiss fans. And, and we were just honored to be on the boat playing with Bruce and Bob. And uh, so it's got like this, it's, it's the new special. It lives on on YouTube forever as a, you know, a great performance. And I'm just really proud that I got to be part of it. Yeah. We're doing it again this year. We'll, you know, by the time this airs, we'll be about a week or so out from uh, when uh, we're, we're heading back on the cruise. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Looking a great time. Is that something that you would love to see come off the cruise and, and play a few shows around whatever, L.A., Vegas, or even the Northeast, and, and just be sure. the Kulik brother? Yeah, right. I mean, that, that, would be, that would be great, and I think fans would, would certainly come out and support it and see it and stuff. Um, let me move over here to Toke, T or Took, the, uh, the band that you have with, of course, uh, Corey Cherko and Todd Kearns where you are covering Canadian music. You, the first album uh, uh, was called uh, Giver and R, sort of a, a take on the Helix thing, I guess. You did some Honeymoon Suite, some April Wine, some uh, Platinum Blonde, some Kim Mitchell. Uh, you've got a new album coming out. You've, you've covered Alanis Morissette's uh, Ironic. Talk to me about that project and and how, how much do you want to develop that? Because that you have taken on the road. I saw a show myself in Ottawa at the Brass Monkey. Um, what is sort of the plans with that? Just just loosey-goosey fun and it'll be what it'll be? Or do you sort of want to make it a, a touring entity that does, you know, 20 shows a year or something like that? I think I'll let it, let it become what it is organically because all of us have come from other, you know, bigger gig situations. And we're all uh, really, uh, we all are from the prairies in Canada. And we've all known each other for many, many, many years. You know, Todd and Corey have known each other since they were teenagers. I've known now our drummer, Shane Gallus. He's from Alberta. We've all been in, you know, cover bands back in the 80s. And, in, you know, we crossed paths in, uh, in Western Canada for years and years. Now, what's happened is the band basically formed. Uh, Corey and Shane have been in uh, Los Angeles for many, many years. And Corey's been the musical director and guitar player and uh, for Shania Twain forever and, and Kelly Clarkson and Shane's had so many great gigs and he's actually been in uh, the bees, which is basically one of the biggest bands of all time from Japan, right. uh, you know, playing massive stadiums. He's played on so many uh, hit songs of theirs, but, uh, and Todd and I, of course, involved with, you know, all our stuff with slash. I've known Todd, you know, since the, the late eighties as well, but we just kind of put it together as a, you know, we, we, we all like the same music. We all come from the same neighborhood. We've all moved down to the States, but we love our Canadian uh, heritage. We're very proud Canadians. And we've been successful around the world with, you know, working with so many great artists, but we just wanted to do something fun. And again, the, the word fun is why it's important. We started it as a band with no, you know, like there's no business plan other than, hey, we love playing together and let's play some of our What's a, what's a good conduit for all of us? Well, all the music we grew up on. You know, we're from the 70s and 80s era of Canadian rock. I, I, we loved all the bands that we heard on the radio growing up. 
that were either Canadian or American. We didn't know when you're young, the difference between ACDC or the Queen City Kids from Regina, Saskatchewan. To me, I, I didn't know the difference. I just, those were bands and records I had and I loved. So what we're doing in, you know, in the now is we thought, well, we're, we're doing these, we've been doing some charity shows for fun. And it, the fun becomes like, well, maybe we have a thing here. Maybe, maybe we should record some of these songs because we, we all have recorded with all these other artists. Why don't we record some of the favorite songs that we grew up on? It's turned into a thing, Mitch, that's it's living, breathing. You know, it's a it's another project I can, you know, jump into and enjoy. And Todd and I, whenever we're free from Slash or the other things we do and Corey's, you know, available, we make sure we we um, we get together and do it because it feels great. So we're able to put singles out. And we've wrote some. At this point, we lost our phone connection with Brent, but I got him right back on the phone. So let's get right back to my interview with Slash's Brent Fitz. Let's uh, let's go back to that. We it, it it dropped out for about thirty seconds. So you you were talking about uh, just before that, and and you just mentioned Alda Nova. To be perfectly Canadian, as I'm talking to you, they just texted me and said, "Do you want to interview Alda Nova next week?" So this is a completely. <laughs> We're we're in a Cana- we're in a Canadian zone, but all right. Let me let me just fast forward because we we did lose audio for thirty seconds there. But is this a, a band sure. that at some point you would love to get in there and make original music, or is it really no? We're just gonna have fun. We're gonna do these covers. Maybe at some point do some some covers from other bands that are not Canadian. But so how do you sort of see that one going forward? You know, as you balance Slash, as you balance all these other things. Well, and you know the. The thing that um, connects all the bands that I've worked with, like working with Bruce um, and making new music that we did back when I first joined with Bruce, our union records, and then making new music with Slash. I think that's always been the goal is everyone that I do play music with. I always want to write new songs and ideas. We're all prolific, you know, musicians and songwriters that I've worked with over the years. So uh, I really think that's, that's the ultimate satisfaction is to get, you know, a chance to put some new ideas with some new musicians and see what we come up with. So as far as Tuke, we're all, you know, very talented guys and we've all worked with all these other artists, but to get together and, and do new music as Tuke, of course. And we, and we have been doing that and we have some new songs and we just want to find the right opportunity to, because I do have a new record with Slash and, you know, we have the, the band that we're doing with, with um with bruce you know coming up on the cruise there's a lot going on and i think for even myself i'm confused sometimes because i'm like man i have a lot of songs and set lists in my head and a lot of different musicians i'm working with so just to keep it in check but but i'm good with it that's what i thrive on you know i'm a thriving living musician that just i love playing i love playing with different people so yeah we i i I, if i can make it work Tuke will be definitely a viable you know regular thing that i'll add to my already chaotic, you know, mix of, of different artists. I yeah, and, and, and I think sort of from the creative perspective, it'll be nice to have a band that is your band with your vision. I mean, I know Union was your band with John and Bruce, but in a sense, you were the rookie, yep. so you, you sort of had to let the the veterans handle it. And with Slash and, and, and Gene and stuff, when they say, you know, and I don't mean to sound uh, disparaging or, or facetious, but if, if they say jump, sometimes you you have to say how high in, in a sense. Um, right? And, and I know that sounds bad to say, but right? So it's nice to have your own vehicle for your, for your music. Well, 
I mean, I certainly voice my opinion and have hopefully the respect of the people that I'm playing with. Uh, of in course, all the games of course. That I'm there. Otherwise, why would I be in the band first and foremost? Why would Slash? You know, Slash can have anybody in his band, but uh, you know, I'm very proud and happy that he has made so many great. You know, uh, uh, we've wrote a lot of songs together with you know Todd Kearns and I from you know from Saskatchewan and Manitoba, Canada. <laughs> what does that say? Um, and then, you know, getting a chance to, to, um, you know, Duke is just, look, it's anything to be creative and have fun. And it, you know, again, I don't think about too much other than if, if that's my little, my little baby, then I'll, I'll proudly say that, you know, that one has my, my heart near and dear because it's very close to home. It's very Canadian. It's very, you know, with my friends, I've known the longest, you know, so that's probably why it feels really special. And, and it's honoring some music that all was the stuff that gave me my career. You know, that's what we love about Tuke. It's just a fun band and all the stuff, all the music we play for people, it makes a lot of people happy because it's stuff that everyone else grew up on too. So, and you know what, when we play a show, every song is a hit song. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. It we is play all the hits that everyone knows and loves. So it makes it easy to digest. Like we played uh, great cup, uh, parties. We've played all kinds. Like we played all kinds of different gigs. We played at the Junos. We just our whole year has been busy. We played at the Nam Show in Los Angeles year this year. And the feedback that comes back from people is like, "This is the greatest band ever." And it's because it's their band. It's their song list, and people love to hear that. But you know, I can tell you this: I've been out with Slash for the last couple of weeks, and people are telling us this is the greatest thing ever because they're enjoying hearing us play just the new music that this band has written. And we haven't been playing a lot of Guns N' Roses songs. And I'm sure I'll, I'll speak on behalf of everybody in the band that we're really enjoying playing all the songs that we wrote together on the last three records. And we're just playing a lot of new music. We're playing already six songs from the new album we just put out. That's what I love wow. the most about playing with Slash and this band. We make sure that all the music we've wrote together gets played in front of people we play every song and that's not every band's choice you know some people play a couple songs off a new record like we we make sure like it's it's like without question our set list changes and and that's a real special thing to, to you know we we uh you know there's no filler on on a record we know we're going to play it in front of people and and uh and uh so we've only played six songs on the new record and i'm sure as the tour goes on and it's going into next year that we'll we'll make sure all the songs get played. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm looking for. And of course, let's quickly remind the folks that you can check out TokeRocks.ca. So T-O-Q-U-E Rocks. You gotta call it Duke. Tuke. I've got to call it Tuke. I know. I know. I've got. I've got that. That sort of French Canadian side where. But okay, Tuke. Tuke rocks. It's a. It's a hat. It's like Bob and Doug McKenzie. It's SCTV, the famous comedy skits from back in the. 70s and 80s we stole it from there as honoring it's a very canadian thing that's all i gotta say is we got it from bob and doug mckenzie yeah, 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 yeah. What, what did they used to say karuku cuckoo cuckoo i'm not gonna even bother trying uh just real quick uh, gene simmons <laughs> uh, yeah listen i'm old and and i just i can't do those sounds anymore uh let, let's quickly talk about gene simmons you got to tour with gene as a fan of the band growing up you know I have had a chance to interview every member of KISS, and that's like, oh, my God. But I, I would imagine that, oh, my God, you got to play with Bruce. You got to play with Bob, who, yes, I know is not a KISS member, but he played on enough albums that that counts. 
and then to play sure. with with Gene, that's got to be way beyond. I interviewed Gene. That's got to be whoa. Uh, what what was that like to to get in there and then have them play these songs like Charisma and other ones that don't get played or have never been played. And just be around somebody who's had such a prestigious career. Obviously, he's got great advice. Great, right? Is it the kid in you that comes out and says, "Oh my God, what am I doing?" Or is it the professional Brent that goes, "No, oh, it's just a gig. Just gonna do my dream." Like, you know, right? Talk, just talk to me about that and working with Gene. Yeah. Both, both of those, Mitch, and they're both in check evenly because from childhood as a fan of music. Um, to the, the 48 year old. And I know you just said you're old. Well, I think we're about the same age, by the way, Mitch. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, so the, the kid that loved kiss in the seventies, the eight year old to the 48 year old that still loves and appreciates kiss. What it is now is it's careful what you wish for. And the musician that loved his heroes as a kid that grows up, never changes. I, I don't know any different other than I'm always going to be a fan of music. I'm going to be a fan of the people that made the music that influenced me, that became my career. So the, the feeling playing with Gene Simmons is the kid in me says, wow, this is unbelievable. Right. But the, I've been a professional musician for over 30 years. What it is, is I think the, the, the knowing that Gene respects me as a musician and wants to play music at, with me or, you know, the, the, it's the give and take that we both share on stage performing together. Those are fantastic feelings. But, um, so the, yeah, the, the, the kid in me feels great about it, but I, I don't act like a kid, you know, playing with Gene Simmons. The whole idea is that we're both, you know, uh, we're both on stage together. We're both playing songs and, and who knows, the catalog better than someone who grew up loving kiss. I mean, if Gene says we're going to play charisma, I'm like one, two, three, four, let's go. I'm good. You know what? I know all those songs. Those songs are my DNA. Those are my, that's my roots, my upbringing as a musician. So, um, I feel, I feel very, um, honored to play the songs that, that Gene wrote because they're, they're me. And hopefully Gene appreciates that. I want to play them as best I can because, I, I know how they go <laughs> maybe better than Gene. I mean, a lot of the stuff we've worked on and we've played some really cool songs, some stuff that Gene has never played before, which is really great. But, you know, Gene has wrote a lot of songs. I mean, how many songs has Gene Simmons wrote? Well over 300, maybe 500 songs. Uh, he probably doesn't remember half those great songs, but to me, they're like the soundtrack to my life. So I remember all those songs and, and to play all those songs with Gene, it's like, it's probably a different experience for him. Uh, and for me, it's, you know, it's getting to play the songs that, that created me. So, um, yeah. but you must've uh, practiced along to them really when you cool were a kid, band. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool band though. Like everybody sings and, uh, Gene picked a bunch of great guys. They're all um, from Nashville. And I've known a lot of those guys for, um, for several years, uh, when I lived in LA and whatnot. So just to kind of come full circle and to get to, to play, you know, with those guys, with Gene and, 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 uh, and, you know, we went all around the planet. We were in South America and we did Japan and we've done Europe a couple times and a lot of places, same places I played with Slash. And, uh, I think it's confusing to some people. <laughs> Sometimes they're like, Oh, we just saw you with Slash a couple of years ago. Now you're here with Gene. So 
you know, uh, um, uh, but and now yeah, you're back with Slash, and they're completely confused, <laughs> you know. Um, just real quick, uh, you mentioned the, the band Bees before, and here's what I find remarkable mm. about them. Uh, a friend of mine, Barry Sparks, plays bass with them. He used to be in Dawkins, but they have had 46, yeah. 46 consecutive number one singles in Japan. I mean, that that is insane, and and Huge. and Tommy Klufetos, uh our favorite uh, drummer from. Uh, well, who did he play with? Ted Nugent, Alice Cooper, uh, Black Black, 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 yeah. Ozzy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he played on their last album in 2017 called Dinosaur. So there you go. A lot of lot of our yep. friends over here are, are on those bees records, and uh, there you go. Um, always, always a pleasure. Yeah. We could, of course, go on forever and always. We we've reached the half hour mark, and uh, good luck on this tour. I'm I'm looking forward to the slash dates in Canada. Slash mentioned that you would be here. Um, so what did he say? Early 2019, if I remember correctly, like March or April. I'll go back and listen to the tape, but uh, looking forward to that. And uh, well, I'll welcome, I'll welcome Canadian dates, just because Todd and I, as Canadians, hey, we love to come back to our home country and, and play. And and we hadn't been, we hadn't actually been through the prairies uh, since the apocalyptic love tour with Slash. So we're hoping that maybe this, you know, next summer, if we can, whenever it's it's uh, you know the window of opportunities there, we'd love to come back through with with slash and play. But in the meantime, we have two dates coming up. We are looking forward to at least being there on a, on a slash break. So, you know, uh, that'll be great. Yep. It'll be great. And, uh, have a good show at the casino Rama, which of course will be long gone by the time this airs, but still, uh, always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, you know, have, uh, have Todd, uh, give a call. We'll talk to him about his career too. Cause I'd, I'd love to do that. And, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. It's always been, Great. You've always fit in very well with any situation you've been in. I saw you with Alice Cooper, and that was fantastic. I saw you with the Conaline Cross, Theory of a Dead Man. Uh, I never saw you as Union, unfortunately. Uh, maybe someday. Who knows? Um, just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Mitch. But uh, before we go, we're going to yep. make a hockey prediction, you and I. Yes, sir. Because we're going to watch hockey tonight. So who's your Stanley Cup prediction this year? Really? I am going to have to hmm, – that's a tough one. I, I think that, I know it's tough, but we we might as well put it out there for fun. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I really think that it's going to go out west, and I really think that the two teams that you cheer for, I, I really think it's going to come down to either Winnipeg or Vegas. And that's not because I'm talking to you. I just think Winnipeg has a very strong team, strong goaltending, and I think Vegas, by getting Stasty and by getting Pacioretty, have upped their game and, and got those missing elements that, that – didn't bring them all the way to. I th- I think it's going to be Vegas or Winnipeg. I, either way, I think you're going to have a great great year. And I'll say this, and fans are going to hate this. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are exceptionally exceptionally overrated. Yes, they've got firepower, but that doesn't help when you have no goaltending and horrible defense. Excuse the language, but it is horrible defense. <laughs> I'm not touching that one. Of but course I not. Say I'm very happy that the two teams I cheer for look really good this year. And uh, I'm just excited because last year was such a great year to watch hockey. And, uh, and I will throw it out there that I'm really hoping the jets bring it home to Canada this year. And, you know, a small market Prairie town with such great fans. And I've seen a lot of games in the last couple of years in Winnipeg. And I've seen many games last year in, in Vegas as well. And both arenas are just exploding with excitement. So but that my edge is going to go to the Jets, and I'm, you know, either way, I'm going to be hated on one side. But 
<laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there for the Jets this year, and I'm just that's uh, that's a prediction. <laughs> well, I'll, listen, I'll, I'll bottom line it for for Canada. I think if you look at all the Canadian teams from the Habs to the Senators to whatever, I think the only le- legitimate cup contender is the Jets. I don't think the Leafs are a cup contender. I think they're a playoff contender. That's for sure. Ottawa, Montreal, forget about it. Vancouver, probably forget about it. Edmonton, Calgary, toss up. But I think the one team that could still be here in June is the Winnipeg Jets. And that's, that's that, listen, they're a great team. Great freaking team. Really great team. So, I love you know, it. You are going to have a great season, man. You are going to have a great season as a fan. <laughs> you, you're, 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 you're sitting pretty. Look at us, bitch. Look at us, two Canadians. It always reverts back to hockey. Now we've lost everybody. <laughs> I know. Like, there we go. The two Canadians are talking about hockey. And well, I, I'm, listen. I'm just throwing it up. There it is. We left it on a hockey note. At least we didn't get into uh, talking about Zellers and Tim Hortons. So <laughs> we're, we're good. Hockey's a good place to end. I got to go. I got to go to Tim Hortons right now. I have to have my second Tim Hortons Cup of the day. So, uh, and there's hockey to watch. So we, sh- we should let each other go. Yes, sir. Have a, have a good one. Thank you so much. And uh, we will see you, you very man. soon. Uh, Living the Dream, of course, the Slash's uh, new album. And uh, hey, according to Slash himself, the band will be in Canada in the spring or early summer. And that is going to be spectacular. Cheers, sir. Looking forward to it. Always Merci. great talking with you, Mitch. Take care. Merci, bonsoir. Cheers, cheers. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. And a very big thank you to Brent Fitz of, of course, Slash's band. The band will be on tour starting in January, going all the way through, well, as far as I know, pretty much all of 2019. But uh, until then, let's move over to our next guest, the one, the only, from the Alice Cooper group, the original Alice Cooper group. It is Dennis Dunaway. The band has a new album out called Live from the AstroTurf. It was available on Record Store Day on November 23rd. It is a sort of reunion show that they recorded in Dallas in 2015. So you've got Neil Smith and Michael Bruce and, and of course, Dennis and Alice. And uh, Ryan Roxy stood in for Glenn Buxom and... Uh, Mr. Niven, I'm going to rant about this because Record Store Day was initially conceived to support mom-and-pop stores. And uh, part of it was, listen, uh, the big boxes, the, the, the Best Buys, the Amazons, the Ebays are putting these small mom-and-pop record stores out of business. And so let's do these exclusive products that we are going to put in those stores and force people to actually get to a brick and mortar and get in there and buy and over the last few years it has gone from interesting little albums and 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 things to this it's only on vinyl or to be fair 95 percent of the releases are vinyl only like this live from the astroturf by alice cooper i'm a huge fan I want to own it. In fact, if it was on CD, I would probably buy two, one to play and one to have in case the first one, whatever, has a misfortune, you know, and I can't do that. And I can't even go to iTunes and 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 download it. It's it is absolutely ridiculous to me that what is supposed to encourage you and entice you to go support mom and pop stores, which I do, by the way. 
as much as I can. I, I buy all my music and people say, well, you get stuff sent for free. No, I get streaming links set for free, which nine times out of 10, I refuse to listen to because the streams are just clunky and the songs don't play and everything buffers and it's just a pain in my tuchus. I much rather buy an album of, especially of a band that I don't like, and I get a great kick out of buying bands that because I'm interviewing them and I, and I have a chance to listen to an album that I wouldn't normally buy, I go, oh, hey, that's really good. I'm going to support it, you know? Um, but this record store day, they, they need to get back to the essence of it. It's, it's about making releases that people want. And yes, you know, do people want oodles and oodles of compact discs? No. Uh, the, the, the market has become limited, but it is not extinct. And, and okay, so do a limited pressing, 500 of them on CD, 1,000 of them on CD, depending on who the artist is. For Alice Cooper's sake, you know, they probably could do 1,000 on CD worldwide and get rid of them. Um, where no, do you, yeah. No, no, no doubt. And, uh, you know, you just keep in mind that pressing a record and putting it in a very... Uh, pressing a CD and putting it in a very simple sleeve is about 80 cents. You know, it's very affordable to do. Um, you know, and the vinyl, little vinyl stores, um, they're probably doing a bit better than perhaps most people think. Um, I went to visit an old friend of mine called Tom Zoot out, um, and he was living out in Charlottesville at the time. And, uh, we went off to do something that, you know, we used to do back in the day, which was to go and browse through vinyl. And that town, and it's a college town, I know, but that town had, uh, as I remember, at least three and probably four vinyl-only stores, which kind of surprised me. I was surprised at how much, you know, the vinyl was moving. You know, people are, people are, are hip to listening to uh vinyl records again and you know I and I've got to say while we're talking about Dennis um, Love It to Death was one one of the truly impactful vinyl records in my life um, the content the band photo on the back um, if by rubbing your hand over the sleeve you can contract a disease called rock and roll I think I might damn well have got it off that record. Um, that's, I think that's the moment when I knew that uh, there was only going to be one way my life was going to go, was that record and that image. And I went, that makes sense to me, and I love it, and it's wonderful. And, yeah, I'll love it to death. Um, and for me, Love It to Death and Killer are two must-have records. Um and not just from a historical perspective, but pull them out now and they sound just as fresh and just as present and just as twisted and dark as they did back in the day. Um, and I'd do a shout out to Bob Ezrin because I, you know, I, I was aware of Alice Cooper. Um, he was originally on Frank Zappa's label and they put out a couple of quasi-psychedelic records. And it was Ezrin who came in and applied the juju and the mojo and tightened them up and got the songs from eight to three minutes and made them punchy and interesting and dark. Um, Bob Ezrin is, to me, one of the all-time great producers. 
Um, anytime you see his name on on a record, that means that record's going to be worthwhile. Yeah, I agree. Now, I, I've had my my I don't want to say issues with Bob Ezrin because I, I love a lot of the albums he's made, but I do sometimes feel that when he comes in. He puts in the Bob Ezrin. I, I've always felt that he makes Bob Ezrin solo albums with Cooper as a backing <laughs> band, or with. But that's what I felt. I, like you know, you listen to Kiss Destroyer, and 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 I do want to get back to Love It to Death, but Kiss Destroyer to me is is not a great Kiss album because he's taken them so far out of what Kiss was, which is a hard rocking band, and through so many bells and whistles. Like, you listen to the beginning of Detroit Rock City and there's a guy in a car and the radio, and it's just like, oh, shut the fuck up and play the goddamn song. It just, it and, and the orchestras, and it's just like, ah. Oh. Like, when you hear those Kiss songs live, like Detroit Rock City live, without all those bells and whistles, and shout it out live, and you hear, you go, ah. Those are great songs. And then you listen to Destroyer and you go, really great expectations? R really? Like, r really? I had great expectations. But anyway, uh, and, and I know fans are going are, are gonna to send me all kinds of nasty emails. But, didn't, uh, didn't Bob do The Wall as well? He did The Wall. Yeah. Mm, there's a lot of wall stuff on that too. In fact, uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> But back back to, to Love It to Death, that, boy, you know, I'm a huge fan of Welcome to My Nightmare. And, and perhaps my Bob rant is, is, is inopportune because he does, of course, add a lot to what Cooper does. So maybe him and Cooper are a great band. Maybe he just wasn't great for Kiss. But, um, you know, Is It My Body, Ballad of Dry, Dwight Fry, uh, Long Way to Go, I'm 18, Caught in a Dream. I mean, to me, those are, that's the greatest hits right there. That's, yeah, and, that's... and still to this day when I listen to it and look at it, I marvel at the fact that they did a cover of a song called Sun Arise. Uh, I mean, whose thinking was that? I mean, Sun Arise was written um, by an Australian called Rolf Harris, who was a staple on British television um, in the 60s. And a most bizarre choice of song to cover. Um, I mean, whose thinking was that? But somehow it fits. Yeah, and that seemed to be one of those things back in the day that you always had to have a cover. Everything had to have a cover. And it's like, right, does everything really need to have a cover? But that, that seemed to be one of those formulas back then. But listen, it's a great album. I mean, I have Caught in the Dream now going in my head now. And is it fair to say that those songs are almost pop they, they they have sort of a pop sensibility to them because they're they, they've got a very catchy i mean is it chorus i guess like a catchy chorus i mean you know caught in a dream na, 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 na. i mean it's, it's that's very poppy in its in its progression to me I mean, correct me if i'm wrong well you know a hook is a hook is a hook and it's all about context too and you know that for me love it to death has got a uh, a dark twist to it um, I wouldn't call it a pop album at all. Um, you know, and that's not to say that, you know, there are moments when you listen to something that's pop and you go, that's genius. Um, I will confess that I think even ABBA made one brilliant single called SOS, which from uh, a writer and a producer point of view is really cleverly constructed and a really cool little song. Um, you know, so it's even, even, even Candy can seem nourishing at times um but it 
you go on to Under My Wheels on Killer. Um, those two records, to me, kind of run together. And to me, I have to say, that's Alice Cooper, those two records. Yep. Um, I'm not, not a huge fan of what came afterwards, but those two records, if you don't have them, go get them. Yeah, I agree. And uh, like last week, we, we book-ended our conversation with, with an artist this time. Uh, Fozzie, we started off talking about Fozzie, and they covered the ABBA song SOS uh, a couple of years back. And so we start with Fozzie, we end with Fozzie. But here is my interview with the one, the only, Dennis Dunaway. We are speaking with uh, Dennis Dunaway, formerly of the Alice Cooper Group. And now, uh, Dennis, a, a great pleasure to speak to you again. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, I always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, we, we I think we last spoke about your book a few years ago, but so much going on. There is a live record, live at the AstroTurf, coming out soon that we're going to talk about. But also there is Cold, Cold Coffin. And I have to tell you, every time I say that title, the the, the lyrics to Cold Ethel keep playing through my head, right, obviously. Um, <laughs> okay. Right? I, I, I never hearing, thought of that. Well, I keep I hearing Cold, it. Cold Ethel. Uh, but talk to me about Cold, Cold Coffin and this Kickstarter project. Ex- explain sort of to the fans the the song and this video and the Kickstarter and just let's go. I'll take over. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a it's an eerie song. It's a song about love, revenge. It's got a twist, and I can't tell you too much about it because the surprise is the uh, going to be in the production, and we want everybody to wait until they view it to actually see what unfolds. It will be starring myself, Calico Cooper, a glass coffin, and a castle. And uh, the the visual will follow the lyrics very closely. So it'll be like you will hear the lyrics and you will see the lyrics uh, in a film that is like an old Christopher Lee-style movie vampire movie and uh it doesn't have musicians in it like a normal music video so we're calling it a rock cinema and is it oh Oh, go go ahead ahead. sorry i was i I was gonna i thought you had paused there so so explain to me the 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 concept of rock cinema and is this just a, a a video for the song or do we see a larger project coming down the road as well uh no well uh, the film team are really great. They have a, an amazing chemistry, and and all of us have this uh, uh, perfect, I think, visual of what this thing is going to be. It's like we could all already see the movie before we even started working on it, and everything has followed that template. So it'll it'll just be a four minute and twenty second movie. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to get it in some film festivals and maybe somebody will want to take off and take it uh, further because it does have a plot that could uh, be filmed as a movie, I think. Uh, so, but but we're mu- mainly the whole thing happened just because a friend of mine heard this song and he's in film and he said, we've got to make a film. And he brought in these amazing people and... Uh, and it kind of just took on a life of its own. Regardless, nobody has been talking about making a profit off of it or, or 
any future plans other than we've got to make this happen. And thanks to all the fans who have donated uh, on Kickstarter, uh, we have the funds to make it happen, and uh, we will begin shooting in a couple weeks. And when will we see sort of the fruits of, of your labor? Is this something that will be out in 2019, or, or is this something that as soon as it's done, out it comes? Well, uh, like I say, we haven't thought much beyond actually just getting this film done the way we want it done. And I've heard uh, various uh, estimates as to when it'll be out, anywhere from Halloween of this year, 2018, until uh, next May. So I don't know. We're we're really shooting for Halloween or maybe mid-November. Oh, I can't wait. And uh, it was announced recently that uh, live from the AstroTurf, uh, featuring Alice Cooper and, and the original members, will be coming out. Uh, talk to me about that day, recording that, and this sort of record store day double album. Great stuff. Well, it all had to do with Chris Penn, the, the owner of uh, Good Records in Dallas. And he asked me to do a, a book signing event early on when my book came out. But my publisher was sort of leery of a rec doing something at a record store. They were more concentrating on book festivals and everything. So they held off on Chris. And finally, I said, you know, this guy is is contacting me regularly and he's saying all the right things. I, I think we should do this. And so basically uh, we set it up so we would publicize. And uh, then I found out that Alice was going to be in town. I'm not sure if Chris already knew this or not. He might have. Uh, Probably did actually, uh, but anyway. So and Alice had it uh, that night off. So he said, um, you know, hey, why don't you get Alice to come down? I said, all right. Uh, I said I'll ask him, but then don't say anything about it, you know. So we'll plant the seed and then we'll wait for Alice to think it's his idea. <laughs> and anyway, so. Um, you know, there was a, a long pause there where we were waiting and not hearing anything. And then finally, next thing you know, Alice says, sure, I'll, I'll come down. Okay, but we got to keep it quiet because he's got a concert in town and you don't want, you know, the promoter to see that, uh, you know, the artist is doing other things in town. And so uh, Chris uh, made a back entrance to the store and we announced that it was going to be Neil Smith, Michael Bruce and I. And we did an interview. We all had electric chairs that Chris had made, and he had redecorated the whole store. Out on the front of the store were these giant uh, pictures of our album covers, all of the original group's album covers, and one had my book cover on it. And then when you walked into the store, he had painted all of the trim, even up two stories high, uh, pink to match the pink panties on the book cover. And he had uh, all kinds of uh, goodies, a gigantic banner with the Alice Spider eyes on it from the Love It to Death album cover. And anyway, so we did a meet and greet there, and we did an interview, and we spoke to people, and we met people, and we signed their albums and everything, and signed their books. And and then um, uh, Michael said, oh, also there was a stage that had pink astroturf. <laughs> and so... Um, uh, we said, hey, would you like to hear us play some songs? And everybody, yeah. So we got up and we 
did uh, Caught in a Dream with just Michael, Neil, and I. And then we started Be My Lover, and Alice came walking out from behind the stage. And uh, uh, later on, uh, actually not that later, but uh, just after we played, my daughter said, Dad, I don't know what you're up to, but the Internet is lit up. <laughs> That's And so were we. That was the whole feeling was like uh, we were all ecstatic. And we reverted to high school. You know, we we were joking around just like we did back at the VIP club in 66. And so it was a very intimate uh, kind of thing, very casual with hardly any rehearsal at all, uh, kind of. A rehearsal was kind of like tune up and and play a couple of the songs uh, instrumentally and and let's go. And, and it sounds great. And it's funny because the other day I, I was listening to it with uh, Ryan Roxy and and Ca- Caught in a Dream comes on. He's like, I don't remember playing that that night. Are you sure that's that night? And I go, Yeah, it's that night. It's you. and then of course uh, you hear the song and Alice walks out and the crowd just goes, Wow! There's an incredible, noticeable roar and it, it's, it's and it, it was you know it's heartwarming as a fan to hear that. Uh, Talk to me about, though, working with Alice again over, after all these years, because you do show up on Paranormal and on Welcome to My Nightmare and even on the Hollywood Vampires album. But before that, there had been this long gap of the band and, and Neil and you not playing with Alice and sometimes not even talking about Alice, though that might not have been your case. Um, what's it like to sort of get back and, and, and be the guys again and, and, and be on an album with with him again and... and going off into uh, Europe and doing those reunion shows with half the original band and, and the new band and just what's it like? Well, it's uh, long overdue, but it's also wasn't the drought wasn't as uh, bad as it seems. I mean, we, we would talk to Alice and get together and stuff, but it was just wasn't on stage. So people didn't know about it so much. And, you know, Neil's my brother-in-law and, and we, both live in Connecticut, so we uh, see each other regularly. And Michael, you know, he's he's the one that sort of disappeared down to Mexico for a while, and that kind of added to the quietness of the what seemed like a drought. Uh, but uh, we were still in touch with each other. So we always have been. And as far as the band getting back together, it's it's not like uh, we've all been just waiting for the call. You know. If, if Alice ever calls any of us, the answer is yes, we're ready to go. We always have been. So uh, the I think the release of my book uh, helped that because it's sort of, I took the high road in the book and I tried to keep the book, even though I do explain some of the things that have to do with the, uh, you know, the the gritty era, uh, I I kept it more about the reason that we did it and the and the enthusiasm and the tightness and all of the fun that we had while we were doing it. And I think that sort of uh, sparked everybody's memories about, yeah, you know, we did have a lot of fun. You know, it's not like, uh, in one way, it's like we made it to the top and then all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from under us, band members, uh, most of us. And, and on the other hand, we were high school buddies that got this vision. We took it to the top. We made our dream happen. So it wasn't a, a, a total loss. It was a, a big success. So 
Uh, I think that uh, my book kind of helped uh, everybody, uh, you know, put that in focus a little bit. And then other things started to happen. And the, and the Dallas show at Good Records uh, definitely was a an element, a catalyst, I think, for we did a, some shows in Nashville that was almost identical in the fact that uh, I was invited to do this uh, convention in uh, in Nashville, and uh, you know, f- around based around my book. And then I found out that Alice was playing there the night before, and the same scenario fell into place. He had that night off, and so uh, Alice said, "Yeah, I'll I'll uh, come over uh, and sit in with you guys." And he said, uh, "But why don't we up the ante, and why don't you guys come and sit in with me at the?" at the show at the uh, Tennessee Performing Arts Center. So, uh, you know, and, and we had so much fun on on that, on both of those nights that uh, uh, next thing you know, Bob Ezrin suggested, hey, why don't you guys do some shows together? And so we were invited to do the UK tour, which was five shows, including, that ended with Wembley. We had last time the original group played Wembley was 1972, and that was the time that we sold it out by uh, having the giant truck with the uh, the nude picture of Alice with only the snake hiding his humility right. and <laughs> clogging up and, traffic. Uh, yeah, and we sold it out then, and here we were in front of 14,000 people again uh, all these years later. So it's it's always a blast, you know. Uh, whenever we're together, even even if you go to the the hardest of times, which was toward the end of the Billion Dollar Babies tour, the hardest of times for the original members of the group, we still had, we were still joking around all the time. You know, it wasn't total uh, night and day kind of a thing. It was, uh, you know, some things went down that we we think are unfair, and uh, you know, and and. It, right. it didn't. It didn't end our friendship. You know, we had lawyers. Michael and Neil and I had lawyers, and we were, we had everything in place to sue. And and you know, a lot of people would say, "Well, I'm an idiot for not suing." But we sat down and we said, "You know what? Let's not go through with this. We started this whole thing as friends. Let's keep it that way." So that was an element as, as well. And I, and you know, as a fan, I'm glad you you did because I, it would be horrible to sit here all these years later and think that you all hate each other because of, you know, some guy in a suit said you should sue. Um, real quick, my my co-host on the show is Alan Niven, who used to manage Guns N' Roses and and Great White and those bands, and his favorite album or one of those albums that marked his life is love it to death and he talks to me often about staring at the vinyl and the picture on it and back and forth and as a fan who who discovered alice just a little bit later somewhere around 77 78 i think love it to death is one of your greatest albums i mean just every song on there is spectacular i'm 18 caught in a dream is it my body uh ballad of dwight fry one of the greatest songs ever written um just quickly talk to me about that album um because you know the, the, the coming into it the albums before it, Easy Action and uh, Pretties for You, were a little more, what's the word for it, 
weird <laughs> or avant-garde. Avant-garde, avant I prefer. That's a fancy way of saying weird. Weird, right. Uh, but but this one seemed very focused. It seemed like this was a band on a mission. Um, talk to me about, about getting in there with, with Jack Richardson and Bob Ezrin and, and just creating this album. Well, you know, if uh, Pretty's For You hadn't made it to 110 on the charts, that may have been the end of the group. But it made it onto the charts, and part of the reason it made it is because Woolworths wouldn't sell it with that album cover with the, the girl with her, her skirt up. And therefore, they put a, pulled all the albums and put a censorship sticker. And that actually boosted sales. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then, so, uh, after that album, we thought it was going to set the world on fire. Frank Zappa played it for the Beatles and told us that they all loved it. And we thought, oh man, this is going to be the biggest hit and, and we're going to set the world on fire, you know? And, and then it didn't quite do that. So, uh, we decided, okay, you know, uh, I'm the one that wanted to do avant-garde. I was the one that wanted to do abstract, artistic, surrealistic stuff with a rock band. And Alice and I agreed on that when we first started the band. But this wasn't putting any food on our table. So uh, we decided that we were going to write songs that were more relatable. The only thing is we had to learn how to write songs uh, that were relatable because we didn't quite have uh, our songwriting skills honed at the time. But we started, uh, uh, in particular, Michael Bruce started uh, woodshedding a lot and and uh, learning how to do these different kinds of songs that were relatable. And he also uh, had that pop sensibility uh, more than the rest of us. I still wanted to keep everything dark and artistic. Uh, and, you know, everybody was a songwriter together. We collaborated on everything. But Easy Action, we came into the studio unprepared. They pulled us in because we had to contractually knock, knock out an album. We weren't ready. If we had had more time between Pretty For You and Easy Action, we would have had a more coherent album that was closer to Love It To Death. But when Bob Ezrin came into the picture, especially with Jack Richardson overseeing things, all of a sudden we had that extra uh, insight as to how to, okay, you've got a song here that has 25 changes. That's, that's a whole album. You know, let's, let's make, let's take each of these good ideas and develop it into a song. You know, we had I'm 18, which was a sprawling number. Like we, always performed it on stage. Well, a few times we performed it more like the single, but generally we had this long intro and this big production on it. And uh, Ezra took us, the first thing we did together was whittle that down to what is on the record. We did that in one afternoon, took, a, took about three hours. And uh, so we felt strong with the material when we walked into the studio in Chicago uh, to d record Love It to Death. But, you know, we thought Easy Action was going to set the uh, world on fire as well. And so we had two strikes against us. And we we had already had the champagne ready for a few years at that point. <laughs> and so, 
So we were uncertain on Love It to Death, even though the songs were ready. It's the first time we ever had pre-production. First time we ever sat down and really got the songs polished before we walked into the studio. So that was the difference. And it just had that sound of that studio, for one thing. It also had the element of Jack Richardson, who produced the Guess Who, and and it had that uh, element to it, even though he was very good at letting Bob Ezrin have the reins. But, you know, we, we weren't as confident when we walked in the studio for Love It to Death as we were on Killer. So, so that's, that's mostly what I remember about it. How much of the credit for the sound goes to the production team and how much of the credit goes to the band? Because, you, you, like you said, you had Pretties for You, you had Easy Action, you didn't have enough time. Did you just do your homework or did the producers come in and say, okay, we're going to fix this stuff? And uh, Who gets the credit? Well, nobody uh, uh, was a slacker. We, all, we, uh, all we did since high school is think, eat, and sleep music, you know. We'd get up in the middle of the night and start banging away on a piano and stuff. Uh, so it wasn't like anybody was not working on music before. Pretties for You had just as many hours put into it as Love It to Death, but we didn't have the, we didn't have the songs all ready to go, so to speak. You know, it's more like we we rehearsed them and rehearsed them and kept changing and kept changing, but we didn't lock them in like we did with Bob Esrin's uh, uh, guidance. And so it, uh, Love It to Death and Killer were still a band with a producer that was helping to focus what we were doing. And then later on, it started becoming more of a Phil Spector kind of thing where where other musicians would be entering into the picture, even though that was always with our blessing. You know, most of the people that sat in on the original Alice Cooper albums were friends of ours. And it'd be like rock and Reggie, you know, Hey, you know, let's go in and do some background vocals. Come on. You know, so it was more like that than us hiring people uh, to come in that we didn't know. Um, and and I'll finish with this uh, muscle of love the album. How do you look back on it these days? Is it sort of bittersweet because it's it's a it's an Alice Cooper album and it's a good album, but it's also the last one with the original members. How do you sort of look at that album and all the the stuff that was going on with Mick coming in and, and Jack Douglas working on it? And um, talk to me a little bit about muscle of love. Well, Muscle of Love, it's interesting you're talking about uh, Love It to Death, uh, how this seems for me, you know, every time I talk to fans, I hear them tell me what their favorite album is or whatnot, and it seems to always rotate. There's a lot of people out there that Pretty's For You is their favorite album, Easy Action, is their, and same with Muscle of Love. But for me, uh, the song uh, Hard Hearted Alice kind of tells the feeling that was... Uh, going on in the group and people say well that album just was a bunch of songs it wasn't didn't have the uh, cohesiveness of our previous album well that's because Glenn Buxton didn't play on it for one thing uh, and having Glenn not there was kind of like uh, uh, you know it was it was like not having the the it's like 
it's like the fire was missing, you know, and and that takes a big uh, chunk out of the the uh, you know the energy. And the Glenn chemistry. Was that, Glenn was the, the right exactly. Glenn was the fiery you know rebel, and that was very important element. Even though you don't see his name as songwriter, those songs have Glenn in them. And when you listen to Muscle of Love, you're not hearing that so much. You're hearing really nice guitar work and everything, uh, but you're not hearing that fire, fiery uh, aggressiveness that Glenn always brought to the table. So that was one thing, and it was heartbreaking because Glenn was our best friend, and it was uh, very difficult to be in the studio and not have him there. You know, it was it just didn't feel right. Uh, so, so we had that, but then on the other hand, we also felt like we were more of a band in another respect because, uh, now all of a sudden it was us in charge of the songs. And even though there were so many things going on with Alice being pulled away, uh, uh, to do interviews all the time while we were trying to work out the music, it. Now we were down to having Glenn not, you know, we weren't firing on all cylinders for one thing. That was the main thing. Uh, Glenn wasn't uh, totally functional. He would show up one day and be great and not show up at all the next day or show up and, and tune up all during the whole rehearsal. So, and then Alice was being pulled away for interviews here and there. And so it was basically down to, uh, Neil and Michael and I to uh, work out most of the tunes. So that was a, a big factor as well. And, uh, you know, even though we loved Jack Richardson and Jack Douglas was the engineer on Muscle of Love, uh, uh, it was different. It just wasn't that uh, uh, team that we had uh, always had on the other albums. Now, I'm quite proud of what we accomplished on Muscle of Love, you know. Uh, the uh, Even though I was playing in the style of uh, John Barry, you know, 007, I'm very proud of my bass parts on Man with the Golden Gun. I love uh, Hard-Hearted Alice, you know, and then we had like Woman Machine goes all the way back to the VIP in our very early days. So we... We uh, dug that one up and uh, breathed new life into it. So, you know, there was a lot of that uh, kind of stuff going on, but it didn't gel as well as previous albums had because uh, the unity was missing. So how do you look at, at Mick Mashbeer? Is, is he sort of the guy that came in is, is, and I hate to say the word, but is, is he sort of like the enemy or did he help the band? Like how, how do you sort of see his contribution to what you were doing? Uh, Mick came from the same, you know, Phoenix, Arizona high school during the same time the rest of us did. We've been friends for many years and he was in bands that we admired and all of that. So, uh, and you know, so we, we had run into him and hung out with him in Paris and, and various places, and uh, so he was a good friend. Uh, he wasn't an enemy. He was uh, brought in to help. Uh, basically, we were doing so many live shows that you know uh, it was difficult to make every night as tight as it could be, especially with a couple of the guys drinking in such excess. Uh, 
And uh, so, and also we were doing more and more overdubs on the album. So there would be like Glenn would play a part uh, on uh, uh, Schools Out, and then he would double that. Michael would do a part and double it, and then they would both do another part over that, and then they'd do a part over that. So we were thinking, now we play live, and it doesn't sound quite like the record because there was like six guitars on that song, you know, and we only have two live. So we brought Mick in to kind of help us with that. And also it was because if somebody had an off night, then we had an extra guitar to rely on. But it, the, there was nothing like, uh, okay, Mick, you need to learn Glenn's parts. No, Mick was, Mick played Mick's parts and in his style. So, so we did that, and uh, I mean, there are fans that say, oh, we, we had guys hidden behind the stage playing. Well, no, we didn't. They were right on stage. In fact, they even had satin suits like us. And when I say they, I mean Mick Mashburn and the keyboard player Bob Dolan, who both of them played on the Muscle of Love album and did some stuff on the uh, Billion Dollar Babies album. And they both uh, played live throughout the Billion Dollar Babies tour and Muscle of Love tour. So so they were kind of uh, incorporated into the band. You know, like Green Day, they have an extra guy now. So, But it's still Green Day. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's fine. And of course, you know, even Aerosmith and Kiss have used uh, keyboardists and so on and so forth. Um, let's remind the folks, of course, that the Kickstarter project is for Cold, Cold Coffin. It is the uh, the rock cinema. There is live from the AstroTurf a uh, double LP, and hopefully, and I've talked to Chris about this, but hopefully we'll see it on CD at some point as well, not just uh, vinyl, but uh, would love that. And we can never remind the folks enough about Snakes, Guillotines, Electric Chairs, My Adventures in the Alice Cooper Group, uh, the book that you wrote a couple of years ago. Fabulous read, by the way, and uh, I certainly recommend anybody to uh, Head over, head over to, in fact, to DennisDunaway.com to check that out. And uh, Dennis, just a, a great pleasure. And 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 as a fan, I'll say, just thank you for the music you made back in those days. It has been a soundtrack of my life and many people's lives that are listening to this right now for 30, 40 years. And so, just thank you. You brought me great joy. Oh, thank you very much, Mitch. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, and great. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Okay, let's do. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. All right, bye. Cheers now. Bye-bye. And here we are, uh, Mitch again. Just uh, don't don't leave. I'm going to uh, just finish this with a little bonus interview that I did recently with Richard Petit, or Richard Petit. He is the uh, team, or, or part of the team behind the Wall Live Extravaganza and Space, the Best of Pink Floyd show. Just an interesting concept, an interesting uh, presentation and show. It will be touring the States in January and February. And uh, as I was talking to Alan at the beginning of the show, we mentioned The Wall. And so why not have somebody uh, who actually plays The Wall? It is not the Pink Floyd, but it is Richard Petit. And of course, it is The Wall Extravaganza and Space, the best of Pink Floyd show. So just check this out. Very short interview, about 15 minutes. Uh, here you go. Here is the one, the only Richard Petit. We are speaking with Richard Petit. The uh, new presentation or the presentation that he's toured with is The Wall Live Extravaganza and also Space. It is the best of Pink Floyd, and this is a remarkably 
unique show and entertaining show to see. And of course, you will be, uh, first of all, good day, Richard, but let me also just tell the, the fans here, you will be all through the U.S. Uh, starting in Boston on January 10th, running all the way through February uh, at the Arcata Theater in St. Charles, Illinois. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Mitch. Yeah, so l- let me let me get into this because we know that Pink Floyd, the band, doesn't tour, and we've we've all heard of other Pink Floyd shows that are out there. But but yours is something unique and different. Um, you've also with the space show, you've got these orchestral, uh, the, you know, the uh, symphonic orchestra and stuff. So so talk to the talk to me about this show. And if I'm a fan in Illinois or in in, in Boston. Why am I coming to see you? What's the attraction with this Pink Floyd show? Well, uh, um, let's talk to, for the beginning, we have to, to understand that uh, it's the wall. I, 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 we redoing the wall from A to Z, but the wall, it's not just an album because the first time everybody heard the, the album, uh, when it came out, we listened to it and say, wow, there's something going on. The first amazing song, we understand there's a, there's a story out, but the story is kind of there's a piece of the puzzle that is missing. So we try to we, we try to to understand. But when the movie came out, then oh okay, we we get the big picture of the storyline of the story of Pink that his father dies at the war and everything. And when Pink Floyd went on tour in the 1981, they they built they they said. Because the premise, when Roger Waters wrote it, he wanted to build a physical war between the band and the and the and the fan. Right. And and they did it. And uh, but when you listen to the wall, the the first thing you you, you get so intimate with the music, you do it with the lyrics, with the storyline. So for me, I, it was very important to create something that is a uh, human size. And when um, uh, Roger Water went on tour in 2011, uh, he went God- Godzilla size. So uh, I-, I wanted to create something that is non-political, that is stick to the storyline. It goes into the expanded universe of the wall because when you, you listen to the, the, the movie, there are songs that are not on the album. When you listen to the audio tape of the, the, the concert in 19, uh, from the first tour, there are songs that is not in the movie and they are not in the uh, on the album. And there are also songs that went through after onto uh, when the, the the final cut came in that was come to uh, there's the, 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 some links with some song from the final cut uh, to uh, to the wall. So it was important to for me to integrate all those things to create a, a giant uh, the wall version. So and uh, and use every visual aspect of of the movie to create not an opera rock, not a theater play, but a rock show where you you live the three dimension of the movie. So uh, we create the costume decor. We have we recreate every costume from the movie. So everybody on stage are dressed in some character of the movie uh the 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 backup singers have roles so we we recreate some scene but not in a theater way 
So it's always a suggestion, and it's everything is in the details. Uh, so many details. Actually, yeah. yeah. Because with my formation, I, I, I'm an artistic director and I'm a, I'm a conceptor. So I wanted to really to, to and we got to be inspired by what's around us. And for me, from Montreal, being from Montreal, we, we saw the Cirque du Soleil uh, born in Montreal and go around the world. We saw uh, so many creators doing incredible stuff with not a lot of, uh, of found uh, and uh, with money, so we have to be very creative to to arrive with the ideas that uh, that will blow the people's minds. So uh, for me, that was the big uh, goal for me to create a show where the the spectator comes in. They say, "Okay, take our key, drive the car," and at the end they say okay you just blew my mind because uh, you went uh, further and beyond what i was expected so so people what they're gonna get they're gonna get the full album of the wall they're gonna have the song from the movie and other songs actually we all we did we sing song from the original singer virolin because we 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 put we when we dress the stage before the first song of the wall there's maybe a Fifteen minutes in the show uh, when the first song of the wall starts. So uh, and it's all with projection and decor. So that's about it. <laughs> that's that's great. And um, just for the fans that that want to check it out, uh, do do head over to the website thewallx.com. So thewallx.com. All the tour dates are there. Now the wall extravaganza is what is going to go through the cities we've mentioned. But you yeah. are also doing something called Space, which is uh, seven musicians, three singers, 37 members of an orchestra. And you're essentially, if I get this right, you're going to revisit uh, Pink Floyd's best songs or favorite songs from the Piper at the Ga- Gates of Dawn all the way till the Division Bell. So basically the entire career. Um, talk to me about yeah. that show. And that, of course, is premiering in Montreal in December. But is this also a show that will make it to the U.S. or to other territories at some point? Yeah. But actually, uh, The Wall, uh, the Space, the Best of Pink Floyd show, has been uh, touring for in Canada for the past year. What we're doing in Montreal in December 8th, it's the first time we're going to do it with the, uh, with the orchestra, with the symphonic orchestra. What I wanted to do is that I wanted to create a show about Pink Floyd with the, all the material, the best material that everybody knows. But I wanted to get out from the, the usual act of Floyd that everybody saw, like the Brit Floyd, Austrian Pink Floyd, the next, et cetera, where they're redoing the tour of... Uh, uh, the Pulse tour from 1994 with the half uh, round, uh, with the, uh, the project, uh, the light, the laser. So it's like the the, the, the typical uh, visual Pink Floyd show. And now uh, with the with and we know that David Gilmore was was like the opposite of Jimmy Page while on stage. He's not moving. Same thing for Roger Waters. So Pink Floyd never been this super visual act as the member so it, everything was in the light as a band we're not trying to be Pink Floyd we're doing the music of Pink Floyd so I, I, we have all the music, musicians to do it we cast the singers to have the, 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 
the perfect pitch for water and the perfect pitch for, for Gilmore. And then I, I want to create a story because I'm from the, that school of thought of we have to 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 create a storyline. So we don't talk between the song to the, the to, to the people because for me, if I go to see a tribute band, I, I don't give a damn if the, the, the guy's talking to me and present me the song. I know every song that they're going to play. So I want to hear uh, I, I I would love to hear David Gilmore talk to me, but I don't. This anonymous guy, I don't. I, so we don't talk to the people. So the song goes one to the other, and I created story where we go. Actually, before that, I have to say there's a poem from the French uh, poet from the beginning of the century. It's called Charles Baudelaire, mm-hmm. and he he says uh, in one poem uh, out from uh, in the Charogne which he, he, he walks uh, uh, on the path with his uh, fiancée and he saw a, a dog uh, that in uh, total decay. And he described the, 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 the dead dog uh, in so much poetry. And uh, at one point in French, he said, Tout cela n'était qu'un rêve, une ébauche lente à venir sur la toile que l'artiste achève seulement par le souvenir. So in English, it means that what he saw, we didn't see, we don't see the dog anymore because it's too much in decay, but it, it's slowly starting to be something else. And just like the, the canvas of a painter that he stopped his motion at the beginning and he never uh, finished uh, his canvas and he only finished it, he finished it in his mind. So I, I use that, uh, that, piece of poetry to set the stage for uh, a storyline where we go into the mind of Sid Barrett and as if everything after the moment he left Pink Floyd, that Pink Floyd never exists and everything was a dream in his mind. So we just flew into his madness and every song uh, I, I, are, are tied together in a way that we create uh, as if Pink Floyd was only a dream in the mind of Sid Barrett. So that's the storyline of the space. So I use the same uh, the same visual aspect, the same uh, motus operandi yep. of the creation of the wall to and uh, do it to to space. So when do the the ticket holder goes to in, in the and take a seat, he's traveling from somewhere to somewhere else. It's not only just the performance of the band. There's something going on. There's a there's a, there's a, a traveling to do with us. Oh, that's great. Again, head over to thewallx.com. You will have your chance to eat, to get tickets and, and see all the tour dates. And uh, Richard, absolute pleasure talking to you. And I, I look forward to seeing the show in uh, in Montreal and telling my listeners a further development and, and, and how it played out. But uh, yeah, just absolutely great. Thank you. Merci. Thank you so much, Miss. So, thank you so much. And uh the, the the from the from the web page there's also the link I think for the Facebook page it's the same thing double X and you can chat with me live anytime I'm always there yeah and and there's just something very special and unique about Pink Floyd and of course you know my fans are, are huge listeners and, and big fans of Kiss and Pink Floyd the Wall was a Bob Ezrin production so 
you know, we're, we're, it, it all sort of comes together in the end, all this rock music. And uh, it's just great for me to see a, a local uh, Quebec or, or Montreal production getting this together and getting it out on the road. And uh, I can't wait. And by the way, after these February dates are done, are there March, April, May, blah, blah, blah dates being planned? Yeah. Or, okay. We're we're going to UK in April. We're going to do a 12th uh, date tour in the uh, UK, and then we come back to uh, to Montreal uh, for um, uh, preparing because we have uh, some summer show into the province, and then we go back. Uh, actually, we're we're tying it up presently for the some summer sh- uh, show in Germany and. Um, preparing our uh, a tour in Germany uh, after that uh, for uh, fall of 2019. Oh, great. Because uh, 2019, we have to know that on the 30th November of 2019, the wall is going to be uh, 40 years old. So actually, we used this summer, the, the 2019, as a 48th anniversary from the wall. But there's one thing. We are doing that tour presently, but I can bet you in... 200 years from now, somebody is going to do the same thing as we're doing because the wall is a masterpiece as uh, Mozart or uh, Wagner or Beethoven had left as a legacy for music uh, 200 years ago. And and, and uh, for us, I think I, I, I take it as a privilege to, to, de- to, de- to do this while the creator are still alive, so uh, uh, I, I'm very humble in front of the 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 what they create, and it's an honor for me to to to, to do it. To do it, yes. So there you go. Thank you, sir. Merci, Richard. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mitch. Cheers. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.